0: unto thee, O Lord Do I lift up my soul unto thee, O Lord Okay, now it's time. It's really great to see you. I hope you had a fabulous day today. We at 3 p.m. had a funeral service here for Adrian and it, it was, I mean, as far as funeral services go, it was really good. Touched on every aspect of his life that I was aware of, and Adrian, you know, was just a great guy, and we're going to miss him, but we're thankful for Connie, and she just set such a tremendous example in caring for him as his health deteriorated, and just really appreciate and love them so much, but it was a, it was a beautiful service, and you know, a reminder of what it's all about. Now, here we are in a Bible class trying to learn more and becoming more familiar with the scriptures as you have been reading them. And I guess we're just, you know, anticipating week after week. We'll study the Bible more, study the Bible more. We'll participate in worship services on and on and on. Adrian, he's finished that. He's gone on and I just, that just puts a smile on my face. I think that's what we do all these things for, getting ready for the step he's taken. So it's wonderful to have people like him who set such a good example of how to live and also how to die too. And it was a great tribute today if you were not a part of it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be dressed up like this. Alright, we're going to sing a song together. And then after that, we'll have our short quiz. Why are you looking at me? You're like, ha ha, 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 Well, sort of. I'm just going to review a few of the things that we talked about last time. And then we'll talk some more about the book of Exodus. And this, this will be easy peasy for you because you are reading the books right along, aren't you? Nod your head this way. Yeah. Man, we are digging in, Kim. We we just love reading these books. When you, if you've already done the book of Leviticus, it might slow your enthusiasm down a little bit. Uh, but for the most part, these books are pretty engaging and very interesting. So I'm, I'm not trying to give... Uh, verse by verse description or explain everything that you're reading. I just want to give you a general background of information that I hope will help you as you're going along in your own study. Let's sing number 528, 528. We'll sing the first and second verse only. After that, we'll have a prayer, and then we'll begin. Five I know that my Redeemer we must of this day, for the privilege that we've had to worship together in spirit and in truth. We thank you, Father, for this occasion that we can sing these songs to engage one another in the study of your word, to just refresh our memory, if nothing else, of the grand scheme that you have planted in your word. We thank you for these studies because they, they prepare us, they prepare our hearts and our minds for, for greater things. Lord, I pray that you'll help me to communicate well the things that I'm, I'm trying to convey, and I really pray for those who hear that they'll be able to accept the things that are taught, not just for information purposes, but in order to to take these things and use them that they can grow spiritually. We just thank you for the the privilege it is to be able to study your word and we just pray it's always effective in touching our hearts. And thank you as we've just sung about Jesus who truly is our redeemer. Help us as we're studying these books together that How Jesus fits into all of these stories of the past as they're a precursor to what we find in Jesus. Just pray you'll help us make those connections and and see it clearly. In Jesus name, amen. Well, the book of Exodus, very pivotal book. Because back there in the book of Genesis, so we had the beginning of so many wonderful things, origin stories. But when we finished up the book of Genesis, we had this small group of the children of Israel, the people in whom God was going to vest the promises. We have that small group of people now, they're sojourners. They end up in Egypt. Things look good when you finish the book of Genesis, but boy, it gets pretty dark here in the book of Exodus. So as we're reading along, we can't help but be impressed with some of the things that come out of this book that are precursors. We read the history, we try to follow along, but it's like at every turn, God is setting up something for the future. And we can't help but be impressed by that. And I mentioned to you last week that uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 It's an application to us, but I can't help but think of what was going on right here in this book. That you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. I love that because that's that's these people. And that you're able to proclaim, you're a proclaimer of the things of God. Israel was gaining their identity at this point they've pretty well lost it but god is going to do some significant things to remind them of all that he had vested in them before the promise all the way back genesis chapter 3 verse 15 that seed promise that was connected with the virgin birth isaiah 7:14 matthew 1, 21, and then also the promises that are being made to abraham the seed promise Genesis chapter 12, especially verse 2 and chapter 17 from the top down to especially verse 6 where you have a land promise. Every time that God is reminding them of all these things, he is setting some things into motion. Also in this book, you've got that covenant that God makes, not just as he's following through with Abraham, but now it's going to be reasserted as this people, mostly think about family tribe in the origination, right? But as we go from family tribe to legit nation, they're going to have to be governed by something. So again, this book is pivotal in that it has contained within it God's development and statement and affirmation of himself and all that he expects of his people, not not just as these people, glued together tribes families but as a legitimate nation that's going to become the housing for the fulfillment of the promises of God way on down the line so we got the covenant going on and actually actually the title of the book bears some significance to all of that now Originally, and and I told you this is kind of, I guess, my southern take on Hebrew words that really aren't even spoken anymore. But way, Ella, Shemoth. Anybody remember what that means? Pardon? Everybody just raise your hand for Marilyn She chose five words instead of five verses today. I was so glad that you were going to say that. Uh, But yeah, now these are the names. The first five words out of that book is similar to what's going to happen in all of these books of the Pentateuch. The names of the books actually in the Hebrew reflected the first few words that are taken in the book. But those words are significant, are they not? Now, these are the names. Now, we are going to have here in the first opening verses, especially verses 6 and 7, I guess, is about 400 years of history. It's going to take place like boom. And so, what, what we're gathering is, okay, we know how things were and how they were left, but let's continue this story. Now, these, you know, are the names. These are the people. Wait, these are the people. You remember what God said he was going to do in Genesis 12, verse 2? Yes, can we know? Because this is a major question on our test we're taking right now. Did you know you're in the midst of that? God was going to make of them a... Now, are we going to let Marilyn control this class? Marilyn, you are fired up, girl. God's going to make them a great nation of people. Now, in Exodus chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, what do we find? Anybody read quickly. Try to beat Marilyn to the text. Exodus 1, 6 and 7. Jesus died uh, in all his brothers and all their generations. The people of Israel were fruitfully, fruitfully, fruitfully. Strong, so that the land is them. What did God do with these people? He multiplied them. What did God tell Abraham was going to happen with regard to his descendants? Man, they are going to be so many. They're like the stars of the sky. They're like the sand of the sea. Abraham's like, I don't even have a son yet. But he did have a son, Isaac. And then God comes in and He says, you, you offer your son Isaac. To test his what? To test his faith. His name is changed so that he becomes the father of the faithful. But of what faithful? Well, I guess, generally speaking, we would say the faithful of all time. But Abraham is going to have exactly what God had said. Exactly, literally what God had said. Yeah, he is going to have that major descendancy. But the promise with regard to the seed, as we were keyed to earlier, was the promise was made to Abraham and his seed, but not multiple seeds, right? Not plural. Galatians 3, 16, but what? But the one seed who is Christ. And what we found is that we become heirs according to that promise when we are where? Well, we're in Christ because Christ is the recipient, a party to the promise of the seed. So when we obey the gospel, we put Christ on, we're in Christ, we're in the seed. So when I read about what's going on here, can can we get excited about that? Yes, yeah. we sure can. Yeah. Ken. Yippee, that's good stuff. No, it is. And you think. God has been working this all throughout history. And we read about it right there. You say, well, you know, I never really paid much attention to those verses. But honestly, we ought, we ought to just try to, try to have our sensors out as we read stuff like that. Because what that's telling us is in the intervening period of time, was God asleep? No, God did not forget... His people, did he? Will God forget you? No, he will not. So we learn that God is not, not just that he's f- trying to find faithfulness in the people that serve him, but God is also, God is also very faithful. And then actually in this, in this book, there are going to be at least four major subjects that are developed. Now, I said that here in Genesis or in Exodus, you probably hear more about God's interaction than you do in the other four of the five books of Moses, because it's right here that much of everything that pertains to man's relationship with God is established. So We see God just interacting and speaking, not just with Moses, but with with the people and the expectations that he has. And it is just, it it is awesome to see God acting that way. So, four major subjects. You remember what they are? One of them is a key figure in the book, and it starts with an M and ends with an S. Moses! Yeah, it has an S in it. Okay, so Moses is a major figure that we're going to develop in this book. And actually, you know, we, we spend the major part of his life developing him as he goes from, you know, kind of like the prodigy child. We think, oh, this is it until he's rejected. And then he goes another 40. It isn't until he is 80 that he actually is called to do the, after he, after he learns what he needs to know and he's humbled enough, then God's able to use him and build him right back up to become this tremendous leader and lawgiver that God needs for his people. And when generations that would follow that, look back, they would be like, there was nobody like Moses. And that is true. But we're going to see a connection between Moses and Jesus a little bit later. Okay, so Moses is a major subject in this book. Another major subject starts with a P and ends with an R, has an over in it, the Passover. Okay, so we want to talk about the Passover, the significance of that was with regard to the blood of the lamb and the preservation that was taken for God's people when they obeyed and they were protected by that blood in the house of of safety, a house of salvation, if you will. And another subject that's pretty significant, it starts with an L, ends with a W and has a vowel in the middle. The, low? No. the law, that's right. Okay, so the law is significant for a couple of different reasons. One is, it's going to be, well, like, like what we have. We have civil law, right? We have a government that creates civility, or it's supposed to. A law that creates civility. That's what the law of Moses was designed to do, create civility, because they're becoming a nation. However, that was also spiritualized to the extent that people built their religion around it and believed or came to believe that their law could do what? Could save them. But we learned that that, first of all, that wasn't the purpose of it and never was intended to offer that. And it certainly couldn't do that. So all of that situation was a plan, again, Galatians chapter three, to bring us to Christ, okay? And then the final little, the fourth one of of the major uh, things starts with a T and has an ackle in it. Not an apple, an ackle. The tabernacle, okay? What was the tabernacle used for? It was used for worship. Uh, It was portable. And the beauty of its portability was what about Israel? <laughs> they're, they're, they're wandering around, you know, think about God here. Um, you know, if if they were just going to simply walk right into that promised land, would they even need a tabernacle? I mean, they're going to be located people like eventually they would be. But God in His infinite wisdom and knowledge and pre-knowledge recognized the wandering nature. And so these people had a place of worship that they could actually carry around with them. And we sang in our song a moment ago, not only about the redemptive quality of Jesus, but of the call of Jesus for our own holiness, right? Our holiness is predicated upon what? Christ's blood being washed by the blood of the lamb, right? And as you're walking in the light as he is in the light, what does that blood continue to do? Continues to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You say, well, can I sin? That's true. You do. And if you say you don't sin, you are a Liar and the truth is not in you, but you can confess your sins and he's what? He's faithful and just forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which then of necessity would result in our being what in his eyes? Pure, holy. Okay. Holiness is a big deal in the Old Testament establishment of things. But what they learn in their process is that holiness before God. Boy, that depends a lot on God doing what? Being a very merciful, forgiving God. And this people, you know what? We tend to think, I think we do. I do sometimes. I I just quickly reflect back on the Old Testament. And, you know, I, I think, I think. Probably mostly about this period of time because I'm so hopeful for this people. But what we realize is after they become a nation and then a a kingdom and then ultimately separated in two nations and things get crazy, you know, They, they do not have it all together. The majority of the time of God dealing with these people is unfaithfulness and trying to bring them back. It's just. On and off relationship. And so God is constantly working on that with his people. But a lot of the idea of holiness is going to be established or started here in Exodus. It's going to be continued in our next book, the book of Leviticus, with a real emphasis upon the need to separate things and to consecrate, make them holy and how we approach God who is himself holy? How, how do we, you know, how do we have that relationship? Okay, that's kind of our, our beginning points, And then we were talking, just kind of laying out basically the general message of the book. And I told you that that also keys on basically three points. One has to do with what I would call the theme. And that is the idea of redemption. Now... You know what redemption is with regard to Jesus. Okay, let's, let's don't think about that for a moment and take the idea of redemption and apply it to the book of Exodus. As you've read through the book of Exodus, how is redemption demonstrated in this book? What's, what's being redeemed in this book? Okay. Hints. Helpful hints. Uh, We start off with the people in Egyptian bondage. Okay. Does that help? Yes. Thank you, Jim. You beat Marilyn to it. Okay. So they are redeemed. They are redeemed From their Egyptian bondage. What was the final straw? What is it that had to be done. In order for finally the grip of Pharaoh. To be be released. And the people to go. Is the blood right? The blood. The death of the firstborn. and, And the blood. All these images come into mind. And bear upon what's happening with us right? These are foreshadows of things that are to come. And so we're like wow those people yeah but look at all that had to go into that and over and over and over god just shaking these people but finally they are released by the power of the blood i just love that imagery they have to cross over into well here's an interesting thing we won't we won't really dwell on this till we get into it later but you know they're going to cross over the Red Sea, in, as they're going through their wilderness wanderings, they're going to be in what is, well, it's actually represented two different ways. Sometimes it's referred to as the wilderness of Zen, Z-I-N, Z-I-N. And also, you'll see some renderings of, not with a Z, but an S. Isn't that beautiful? They're wandering around in the wilderness of Sin. When you read these books, shouldn't you have your antennas up? Shouldn't these things being, be impressing and instilling in you a thankfulness to God for the blessings that come through Jesus as he is the great redeemer? But, but stop, let's don't do that yet. So we're looking at redemption in this book. Another thing that we're looking at is God is absolutely. And when I say absolute, I'm talking about another thing that runs through all of these Five books, and that is the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God has to do with what? God is always right. God is always right. And you know, all of us, we're just these great Bible scholars and we read when God does something we don't like and we question him for it. Why does God do what he does? Okay, that's that's the great answer. did Were you prompted somehow? Okay, yeah. God does what God does because God is God. Th- that's really all. We don't have to debate about it. Now, we try to dig deep and try to understand motivations and how he hooked this up and how this was fulfilled and all that. Hey, peace. Great study, a lot of fun. But when you boil it all down, God does what God does because God is God. He is sovereign. He does what he chooses, but he is also motivated by a certain nature that he has. And sometimes when we look at our own nature, we think there are conflicts and and how could I do this and hold true to this one characteristic and and then do another thing. We, we, We are sometimes in conflict, but what God does, he always does perfectly with a foresight and a perfect motivation and it's always going to work out the right way so if i question the outcome i have to start with the realization that what happened happened because god is god what god decided about that was the perfect solution the perfect way for it to unfold so what i was getting at with that is knowing that god's a sovereign god here's what i know about god god controls nations, and He controls men. You say, well, don't we have free will and all that? Yes. Yes, you can choose to do what you want to. If you choose to act outside of God's will, you are perfectly allowed to do that. Of course, there are consequences when you do that. But if you want to do if you insist on walking outside of the will of God, you may do that. But here's what I'm going to tell you. God's will throughout history is like a steamroller. Okay, can you go out there and stop a steamroller? Well, now I know you might, please stop, please stop. Not like that. I mean, can you just grab a hold of it and stop it? Just go ahead, comply, shake your head this way. You cannot. And God's will is like, God's will is going to be done. I can work with it and be blessed by it and be a part of it. Or I can choose not to. But if I choose not to, one of two things will happen. Either I will just walk away, go in another direction, or I'm going to get rolled over by it. And we see many occasions, we've seen them already, right? Things that work out with the sons of Cain and Abel, right? Abel's a righteous guy, but Cain rises up and kills his brother. Even though Abel continues to speak, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, even though he still speaks... Well, did God say up oh, Too bad? That's it. No chance for man now, even though he'd already made a promise in chapter three. No, God just raises up. Remember the next guy in line? Seth, right? Now we've got a line of Seth. Uh, you, you go, you go with uh, Jacob and Esau. Who's the firstborn? Esau is the firstborn. Esau don't care about that birthright. Esau don't care about the blessings of of his father until he realizes he doesn't have them anymore. And once lost, he can't get them back. But does that stop the plan of God? Shake your head this way. No, it does not because God's plan is like a steamroller. And it's like that because God made a promise that Abraham, in your seat, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. That's going to happen. And not one person is going to rise up and thwart that. Eventually, you know, we'll get to the story of, of uh, Esther. In that period of time, as the nation rests upon the decisions of its leaders and its leaders have already decided that nation is going to be wiped out. Was it wiped out? Shake your this way. No, because God's plan is like a steamroller. And there isn't any leader that can rise up and stop that. Moses says, no, don't choose me. I can't speak. I am not capable of leading these people. God says what? Aaron. Aaron can be. Well, no, this and that and this and that. Five different excuses, but God isn't having it. You know why? Because God's plan is like a steamroller and God is going to use Moses. Does that mean that Moses is the only God that could ever have been used? Well, you know, in the beginning, he was nearly wiped out, right? Because he wasn't circumcised quick enough. We're just going to kill a flaming sword ready to take your life. Whoa. Whoa. God's plan is going to unfold and it's going to be realized and we can look back and see that. And here's the funny thing. I just throw this Doesn't, doesn't cost you any extra at all. But we look back and we see how God operates in history, in his story. We look back and we see how God operates all throughout history until it comes to me. And we look back and we say, oh boy, God did this, God did that. We hear the stories of our friends and family. God did this, God did that. It's amazing how God just takes care and does his thing. And then when something happens to us, we're like, uh, wonder if God don't help. Wonder if God's listening. Is God listening to his children? Yes. If you ask for bread, will he give you a stone? No. If you want fish, will he give you a serpent? No. So you being his children, how much more is he going to give you what it is that you need? You're his child. You cry out to him. You, if you have chosen to be the, a part of the plan of God, then you know what God will do with you? He will use you and he will bless you to his ends. I love how that's expressed all through the book of Hebrews, which is a great study in connection to a lot of these books of the Pentateuch. But just, just to suffice it for now, God is in control. And we should never doubt that at all. No, no matter what we think we see, because we walk by faith and not by sight. Don't be confused with what you think you see. Because there are bigger things happening out there. Okay, and then the third thing that kind of about the message of the book, in my mind, is a connection between, okay, so that's the matter of redemption, right? But it sets up, it sets up what we're going to need to know in the future, and then that's for us. We're looking back to it, but it sets up what people would need to know for the future relative to the satisfaction of these promises. The Christ, the Messiah coming. Now, Ken, what do you mean by that? Well, here in this book, especially aligned with some of these major topics that we've already introduced, when you look at them singularly and you examine them, you are taught something already about the Messiah that's going to come. For instance, Christ is like Moses, right? In a lot of ways. What are some of those ways? When you're reading through the book of Exodus, how do you see Christ when you look at Moses? Moses. Well, first of all, he is a deliverer. <laughs> is am, am I too rough? Okay, uh, he's a deliverer, right? Well, not that what Moses did, what does Jesus do? He delivers you from, delivers you from sin. Okay, um, what what else about Moses? Lawgiver. Okay, he's lawgiver. Lawgiver. Moses brought the law, but what came by Jesus Christ? Grace and truth. Does that mean you can do anything you want to do? No, but truth... Oh, well, let's back up. Was Moses then devoid of grace? No, no. So uh, you said, well, let's make a delineation here. Now, what Moses was delivering for the people in terms of the law was that design. First of all, was that designed to save anybody? No, it was not. It was designed to govern uh, this nation. So Moses, Moses does pre pre shadow or prefigure a lot of things of Jesus in terms of leadership and the deliverance of how to live and expectations of God and speaking with God as a mediator. Who was it that spoke to God face to face? Moses did. Moses, you remember Moses goes into the tabernacle when he speaks to God, he comes out of that tabernacle. What did he look like? His face glowed, you know, and so he had to cover his face so that the people didn't realize, wait a minute, Now, I see that his glory is beginning to go away a little bit. Moses wanted, I guess, give the impression that that was a long-lasting thing. But what it actually required was a continual what? Going in and being in the presence of God. So, there there are a lot of things, when I look at Moses, I see as a prefigure, although not a completeness, but, but a shadow of things that were to come in Christ. What about Passover. Is there a connection between Christ and Passover? First Corinthians five seven says that Christ is what? He is our Passover, right? And and in that in that text, kind of a I don't know if it's a mixing of metaphors or not, but you start off with the idea that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And oh, by the way, uh, unleavened bread was in actually the practice of the instituting of the. Passover, oh, well, Christ is our Passover, so there's you a reason. Wait, what? Hard to wrap our mind around all that's involved in that. But what I take away from it, again, is, right, a connection between Christ as our Passover and then the actual Passover, because in the Passover, they were preserved by the by the By the blood that was washed on those doors and, and the lentil, and the same with Jesus, Jesus shed his blood to well, what did that blood do it It also washes right, but it, it it washes it washes our sins away, and then when we are in him, we become party to the promises of god that that seed promise okay and then okay, so we got Moses. Or we got uh, redemption, then we've got God, and then we... Okay, so we've got Christ as the Redeemer. So there was the matter of Moses, there was the matter of the Passover. And then there's also the matter of uh, Christ being seen as the Lamb of God. Okay? The Lamb of God. John chapter 1, verse 29. You remember what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming? He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Okay, so let, that's kind of the message message of the book of Exodus. Now, I want to talk with you. I'm supposed to point that way, I think. I want to talk with you about purpose. Purpose is, is closely aligned with the idea of message, but I, I take it in my thinking, the way I'm, I'm laying this outline is the message is kind of what, what I should draw away from it. Purpose is what's behind that message. What, why, why is it we have this message? And to me, you can break it down, and this is what we're going to do in all these books. We're going to break it down into the historical purpose. Historically, why is it that it was this way? The historical purpose. Then there is like a doctrinal or a spiritual purpose, a a spiritual purpose. And then finally, I already mentioned it to you, but there's always in these books a connection between what happened and how that was to be fulfilled or satisfied in Jesus Christ. In fact, as Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he discoursed with several of his disciples about how. What had happened, what they had witnessed and experienced was actually the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, which you read there, that that was fulfilled here. And then he sat down with them and he looked at all these scriptures. Well, we don't. And I think this is pretty beautiful. We don't have a list of all the scriptures that Jesus looked at. But when you go back to the Old Testament scriptures, it's, you know, it's pretty apparent uh, how all of this stuff works together. Uh, no matter who's in power, who's in charge, doesn't make any difference. God's will is always going to be accomplished and satisfied. Okay, so historical purpose. One, one thing that you are looking to have resolved uh, historically, for instance, if I were a Jew and, and let's, let's take it, I've just been released from, I don't know, Babylonian captivity. <clears throat> I want to know something about my people. If I want to know about the chosen people of God, if I want to know why they were chosen and how God preserved them, I can go right back here to this book. Those opening verses, verses 6 and 7 of chapter 1, gives us the whole story. It catches us up. You know what? God is fulfilling his promise, these people are multiplying. They're not even a nation yet. They're set within the body of a nation. But they are going from small beginnings to become a great nation. They're going to become the greatest power on earth. Whereas right now they're like the least, you know, they don't even have their own land yet, or at least haven't haven't taken possession of it. So that is a significant thing. There is the matter that we talked about of deliverance. And so if anybody came out of, again, let's just use the perspective of the Babylonian captivity. If they came out and started well, wanting to know, well, how, how, how did we ever get here? You know, what is the significance about returning back to the city of Jerusalem? Well, we can go back to these books and see the promises that God had made and how He is beginning the fulfillment of that by pulling them out of Egypt and He's going to start that march Eventually if they'll ever become faithful, eventually to the promised land. That's, that is a significant development right there. Of course, uh, starting, well, really starting in chapter 19, but really hitting it in chapter 20, are the Ten Commandments and the covenant that God is making with His set-apart people, the Israelites. So that, that is a, a significant historical purpose, kind of give the, the beginning points of all of that. Um, you have the establishment of God saying something, the people believing it and having faith in it. That's a big deal. Okay. Are there some instances you can think of where God said do something, it seemed outrageous, but then all of a sudden it's a reality. We trusted God and it worked. Just the way you got water out of the rocks and stuff like that. Okay. Preserve them, took care of them. He said, oh, like, yeah, that's a good example. Water out of the rock. And uh, one of the things we're going to talk about when we talk about the Christological purpose about Christ as manna, John chapter 6. Well, Exodus chapter 16, guess what? They start complaining about food. God's going to give them daily well, I want to say bread, don't you? It wasn't exactly bread, but it I don't know, sounded delicious. <laughs> I mean to hear it described. I'm sure if you eat a thing every day, all day, uh, don't even ask if you want to know about lap, lap later from some of those uh, Pacific islands, I can share that with you. But yeah, it was great. And then you know, they wanted meat. what God do? He sends the quail, they need water. God's going to get, God's going to, God is the great provider, right? But he is not the great spoiler. Let me put it that way. God is a great provider. He's not necessarily a great spoiler. It's like, you know, I'll just sit back. I'll, I'll take care of it. I'm going to give you, you no know, plate lunch every day. And don't you worry. No, they would get to a point where they needed to depend on God, right? We feel it's tragic. Oh, we're at a terrible loss. What are we going to do? Lord, help! Well, He delivered them out of Egypt on that basis, right? They cried out for help. He is going to deliver food to them on the basis. We're hungry. He's going to deliver water on the basis. We're thirsty. He is going to deliver everything that they need on the basis of need and not just simply of want. Okay, those are some of the historical things. Doctrinal things related to the matter of the promises of God. We see the continued fulfillment of the promise of God through this. And now it's like the details of it. You know, it's not theory anymore. God is actually taking action to be sure that what he promised is fulfilled. That, that is all through the book of Exodus. It's the history of the fulfillment of the specific acts related to the promises of God. Uh, You see, like, uh, speaking of doctrinal matters, like the nature of God. Uh, Is God a God of love? Uh, You know that, but do you see love in the book of Exodus? I mean, those are His... We talked about children and the relationship with the grandparents this morning, or parents this morning, right? God loved His people. Was God merciful? Uh, Yes, He was. You know, those people are complaining. He didn't just... And there were many, several, at least two or three cases where they were so corrupt, God's ready to wipe them out and just start over with Moses. Is that awful or what? Well, I'm telling you, God will steamroll. He will work this thing out no matter what. So Moses, that great communicator and friend of God, he was able to work that out for those people. But I'm just telling you, God God makes no exceptions in regard to that, but he is merciful. And He is gracious in all of that seen throughout this book. Is He a good protector, God? Is He a good protector? Absolutely, He is. Every, every characteristic that we think of relative to God throughout the, the other texts of Scripture, you, you'll find demonstrated right here in the book of Exodus. Okay, we're going to need to stop. Uh, we're offering the invitation on Sunday nights. So we're going to sing a... We're going to sing the last verse of the song we just sang, 528, 528. Let's sing the last verse of this song. Um, if you know, you need to respond tonight, We we do offer you the opportunity to do that. Maybe you've been studying with someone, you've come to know the truth, and you're ready to obey the gospel. We want to accommodate that. Maybe... Maybe you've stumbled some way, fallen away. You want to come back, be restored, redeemed in that way. Uh, tonight affords you that opportunity. If you need to respond, we're going to sing this last verse. If you'll come forward, we'll attend to you. Let's all stand together. I know that you cared for can go to the chapel, I'll give you a few seconds to go ahead and leave the auditorium, and there'll be someone there to take care of that need. i refer you to the bulletin for all of the updates. Uh, Stephen did want me to add this little caveat related to the announcements this morning, and that is, if you would like to help with the Saturday event we're having for our sixth grade and under, Don't just grab him in the hallway like I did today (laughs) and tell him you would like to help. Actually send him a text or write it down so that he won't forget it, okay? And also, they're collecting little boxes for some kind of project. So if you have little shoe boxes that you could contribute, go stack them up in front of Stephen's door, okay? That'll be fun. All right, let's have a prayer together and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for the blessing of this day and for your mercy and grace toward us. The way you love us is just incredible. We thank you for the privilege of assembling, for the time of study. Help us be good students of your word. Help us to find time to read these texts and to learn on our own. I pray that you'll bless us as we go from this place. Keep us safe. Be with those who are mourning and who are suffering from injury or sickness. We pray recovery for all in Jesus name. Amen.